The following audio is from Shady Grove Presbyterian Church in Rockville, Maryland. Our mission is to follow Jesus Christ and labor for his kingdom both in our area and around the world. For more information about Shady Grove Presbyterian Church, please follow our Facebook page and visit shadygrovepca.org. Now let me pray for us. Father, we do ask that you captivate us. And may we stop running from you and running to you. We ask that you would open up our eyes, our ears, and our hearts to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. And may we yield to you in all aspects of our life as we follow you. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. We're continuing our study in 1 Corinthians, and this morning we're in chapter 9, but I'm actually going to... Start actually in verse chapter 11 because verses, chapters 8 through 11, verse 1, 8 1 to 11 1 is like, think of connection, bookends tied into a knot. They're all tied together. And we tend to pull this one verse out, which is, Follow me as I follow Christ, or be imitators of me as I am of Christ. And we say, Wow, Paul is a great leader. And he was because he's saying, Follow me as I follow Christ. Well, what in the world are we following Paul to do? That's the part we don't really get because we pull the verse out and we forget the rest of it. And he's connecting all of 8, all of 9, 10, and this section, it's all tied together and it ends with, follow me as I follow Christ. So chapter 9 is going to be all about Paul's example of his life and, and for us to follow him. So what are we talking about? Well, he concludes at the end of chapter 10, Verse 31, this familiar verse, some of you memorized it. Whether you drink, eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. And so we've been talking about freedoms and how Paul uh, is teaching the Corinthian church to forsake their freedoms on behalf of, of love. And so let love uh, reign in your freedoms. And so for the Corinthian church, it had to do with going to the temple, and now they had come out of this environment where lots of pagan worship going on. And if you remember a couple weeks ago, we talked about this, that in Corinth, there wasn't a Courtyard Marriott, there wasn't a Ritz-Carlton, there wasn't a Ruth Chris Steakhouse, there wasn't the Panera Bread or the Chick-fil-A. And so today, when you want to cater something, like today we've got Subway bringing us a light lunch in room 10 and 11, right? Well, they didn't have that back then. They didn't have the catering service, and they certainly didn't have big rooms. The houses were small. And so the place where you could get it all done, all in one, Come to the temple, and you can have your wedding, you can have your trading guild, you can have your birthday party, you can have, you know, whatever, the reception. And we have a little piece of papyrus that was found that says, Antonius, the son of Ptolemies, invites you to dine with him at the table of our Lord Serapis. And so there was a problem. The problem was the very last part, is guess who's putting on this, this thing? You're invited by a friend, but it's all for Lord Serapis, 
and there, and there was pagan worship going on at the temple, and what Paul's saying is you're dining with demons. Even though Lord Serapis isn't anything, and these, uh, there aren't any other, these gods are nothing, but behind this false worship is demonic activity. And so he's saying, don't go there, and not only don't go there, but if you find out later that this meat has been resold into the marketplace and you're with your weaker brother and he wants to know, hey, was that meat first offered to an, to an idol? He says, don't ask questions. But if they start to ask questions, then refrain from your steak dinner as a strong brother so you're not a stumbling block to the weak. All right, so all that's introduction. So now let's look at chapter 9 to get at Paul's personal example, and what does this mean for the Corinthian church, and then what does it mean for us? Chapter nine, am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not my workmanship in the Lord? If to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. This is my defense to those who would examine me. Do we not have the right to eat and drink? Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife, as do the other apostles and the brothers of our Lord and Cephas? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? Or who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? Do I say these things on human authority? Does not the law say the same? For it's written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. Is it for oxen that God is concerned? Does he not speak entirely for our sake? It was written for our sake because the plowman should plow in hope and the thresher thresh in hope of sharing in the crop. If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share this rightful claim on you, do not we even more? Nevertheless, we have, made, we have not made use of this right. But we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple and those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings? In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. But I, made, I have made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision, for I would rather die then have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. For if I preach the gospel that gives me no ground for boasting, for necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this of my own will, I have a reward. But if not of my own will, I am still entrusted with a stewardship. What then is my reward? That in my preaching I may present the gospel free of charge so as to not make full use of my right in the gospel. This is God's word. And so if we're tying this knot between chapter 8 through chapter 11, 1, follow me as I follow Christ, here's the main point. Paul has relinquished his right to receive support from the Corinthian church at great cost to himself. He has the right for them to be paying his way and yet he has refused that right because he doesn't want to hinder others from coming to faith. For other people to say, well, he's only in it for the money. 
Or if you're in it, or you know, if they're just holding out the plate, I'm not coming to that church. You see, the point was that the, the Corinthian believers were flaunting their freedoms and eating meat. And then in chapter 10, he talks about how they're eating and even getting drunk at the Lord's Supper, and they're abusing their freedoms, they're taking advantage of their freedoms. They really like their freedoms. And Paul's saying, well, take a lesson from me. I've got a lot of freedoms in Jesus that I'm not taking advantage of. And I'm making a lot of tents every day to show you what I'm doing. And so with Paul working as a tent maker and relinquishing that right, he's saying to them, can't you just forgo some steak dinners now and again? Can't you let go of not getting drunk before you come to the Lord's table? Let love reign in your freedoms And if your freedoms cause a brother to stumble, don't do it. Okay, so Paul is holding up himself as an example. Now, this is a tough passage to preach. If you look through here, you're like, oh boy, where's he going this morning? And some, you know, this isn't a particular, I didn't pick this text, it it picked me. You know what I'm saying? Like, when you preach expositionally through a book, there's a, you know, you, you have to cover these things. And I want you to know, I didn't pick this text because, and I do think this text is, a, is one of the main texts in the New Testament that says the church should support their pastor, okay? They should give to their pastor. But I'm not preaching this because I think we have a problem at the church. Um, I want you to know Shady Grove is a generous church, and I hear that a lot. When we had the missionaries come and we had the uh, Chuck and Barbara angered, and Barbara was selling her purses and different things that she had made to help her business uh, overseas, she said to me afterwards that they did, that's the most that any church has ever given to us. And it was well over $1,000. Our Vacation Bible School raised over $1,000 of Bibles for the Clarksburg Jail. Our church supports three full-time pastors We're helping a church planter. We have five part-time staff. We have several youth interns, and we support more than a dozen missionaries, anywhere from $2,000 to $18,000 a year with our church plant. We have local ministries that we support, and we have a deacon's offering every month, and typically it's between $1,000 to $2,000 that comes in that deacon's offering every month to meet needs here in the body and in the community. And those are significant. So I'm not picking this text because I have a bone to pick with the church. I want you to know, I I do believe our church is a very generous uh, church. But Paul is bringing this point up for us to learn some things. And so that's what we want to get at here. And so first, what he wants to do is he wants to show them his basis, that he is an apostle, he's a legitimate apostle, and then his rights as an apostle. So first of all, he wants to start with Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? You remember, to be an apostle, you have to be an eyewitness of the resurrection. And Acts 1.22, we're told, when they gathered together to pray, and and it says um, they were looking for someone to be Judas's replacement. And to be appointed, they had to be a witness of the resurrected Christ. And so Paul himself in Acts chapter 9, you remember he was persecuting the church and he's on his road to, the, road to Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, falling to the ground. He heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I'm Jesus whom you are persecuting. 
And Paul was radically converted. First he was made blind and Ananias prayed over him. And he was set free, he was baptized, and now he's serving the church as an apostle. And so he's reminding them, have I not seen Jesus our Lord? And many of you in this very church in Corinth had come to Christ through Paul's preaching. So follow his logic here. So he's saying that he is a legitimate apostle, and as such, he has certain basic rights. Well, what are those rights? Well, food and drink, meal provisions, hospitality, verse 4, and then bringing along their spouse, as was the case with Peter and the other apostles. So we know Peter was married. I mean, his mother-in-law was healed, and to have a mother-in-law, you've got to have a spouse, right? So that was one of Jesus' first miracles. So Peter has a spouse, and the other apostles have spouses, and we're not sure what happened to Paul's spouse, whether he was married whether he uh, was divorced, whether his spouse had died, we don't know. Um, but it, he does say that he does have this right, and not only that, he has the right to bring his spouse. And that's where we get the idea that not only you know, should you support the pastor, but you should support the family. Okay, So that's the idea there, is that the, the idea was that back then they would take care of the apostle and his, his wife. And so... Paul is arguing that he has a right to refrain from working for a living. Verse 6, he's saying, you know, he could just make his living from the gospel. And verse 14 states that the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. And so we do say that this is one of the, the clear passages in the church, that one of the reasons that we want to give to the church is to support those that are laboring in the gospel. And so we, one of the church membership vows that we take, and Dennis just took it last week, was do you promise to support the church and its worship and work to the best of your ability? And if you're taking the vow and you're not supporting the church at all financially, then uh, you would not be fulfilling that vow, that membership vow. Now, it's pretty clear from this text and some others, um, you know, not, not the idea here is, I mean, there was an old deacon expression. Some of you have heard this, and I don't mean to pick on the deacons, but the old deacon's prayer was this, Lord, you keep him humble and we'll keep him poor. Have you guys ever heard that? that that's what the deacons would say about their pastor. It's kind of a joke. And the idea there is that <clears throat> not only should we support the pastor, but we should support the spouse. And this, I would say, is also true for the missionaries that are sent from the church. We have a responsibility to get behind them financially. I remember hearing years ago a story about a missionary that actually received used tea bags on the mission field. You know, because you can use tea bags more than once. And so they used them, and then they said, well, we'll send them to the missionary. It would be a blessing to them. And they got used tea bags. How terrible is that? You know, what does that communicate to your missionaries? <laughs> Not good. Um, so Paul gives five reasons here why he should be supported by the church and the gospel ministry. And they're all from everyday life. Did you catch that? He gives a soldier illustration, a farmer, a shepherd, an ox, and the priest. So let's run through those briefly. So he's going to give these five arguments from everyday life to say, yes, a pastor should earn his living from the gospel. And so what he's saying is, who serves as a soldier at his own expense? He said, you know, basically, if you're on the battlefield, 
you know, the idea of a mercenary person is that, you know, he's a soldier for hire. You pay them to do that job. And the military provides the food and the shelter. That's true today, and it was true for Paul's day for, in the Roman soldiers. And very rarely do you have something that happened like with the, the situation in Benghazi, where twice they were told to stand down. And when Bob, the, the fake name for the CIA agent who was telling them to stand down and not go help Ambassador Stevens, when Tonto and those other courageous, incredible men went to go help Ambassador Stevens, to reject the order from the CIA agent meant no life insurance and no health insurance. You've obeyed a direct command. You're on your own. And so when those guys went to save Ambassador Stevens, they had no health insurance, no nothing. You're on your own. Well, that's, that's a pretty rare example. Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Well, they did, but that's pretty rare. We pay our soldiers. Two, the farmer. Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? The idea is that if you plant the grapes, you should, as the farmer, be able to eat some grapes along the way. You get to be like a bear and have some grapes along the way. And if you're the shepherd, who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? It's just, you know, very straight up, very common sense uh, illustrations. And then he gives the example of the ox. And he quotes from the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 25, verse 4. He says, it's written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. And the idea here, and if any of you have been to Mount Vernon, and you can see the way George Washington did it, there's a big circle uh, barn, and it's probably still there. This was years ago. I saw it at Mount Vernon. And it shows you where the ox would tread out the grain. And there was two floors, and the ox would go in circles, and they would just tread and tread, and, and that, was the, that was the same as in George Washington day, day as it was in uh, Apostle Paul's day as it was in the Old Testament. And the idea is the oxen would walk all over the grain, dragging a stone and crushing the husk and releasing the grain out of it. And so the idea is don't muzzle the ox. Let the ox eat while he works. So as he's making these circles, he can enjoy some while he's doing it because he's going to work a lot better and a lot longer if you don't muzzle him. But if you muzzle him, he's not going to work as long and he's going to be a frustrated ox. So that was the illustration there. And then the last one was the priest. And he talks about the priest and the temple workers. And the idea is in the Old Testament, when you would offer these different offerings, you have a, and this is verse 13, when you did the burnt offering, the priest burnt up everything, but the hide was given to the priest, and the, and the priest would take the hides and they would sell them. And then in the second offering, it was a sin offering, and the fat of the animal was burned, but the priest kept all the rest of the meat. And then there were other offerings like that, but the priest also received the first fruits of barley, wheat, grapes, figs, pomegranates, olives, honey. And so they were receiving the first fruits of everybody's crops that went to the priesthood to support them in the Old Testament. They even received a tenth of the Levites' tithe. And that was to support the priest and the temple workers. And so Paul is using all of these arguments to say, you guys, this, this is my right to be uh, living by the support of you guys as he preaches the gospel. And so it kind of asks the question, well, how come Paul is not receiving benefit from the Corinthian church? 
Because, you know, and the question is, well, then, did he ever receive benefit from the churches? Because when you read, like, the book of Philippians, for example, uh, it's very clear in the book of Philippians that, that he begins the book with thanking them for their partnership in the gospel. And the partnership was his koinonia, and it meant financial as well as fellowship. And so the, the Philippian church is supporting Paul. And, and the, basically, the book of Philippians is a missionary prayer letter. If you ever want to see what, what a missionary prayer letter looked like, I mean, it's the book of Philippians. He's thanking them, writing them, telling, thanking them for their partnership, and reminding them that he's learned to be content, whatever the situation is, but he thanks them for their gift, and he says, my God shall meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. And even he says, I've, I'm well supplied, and all the more from your gifts that have been given to me. And he's saying, God's going to meet your needs as well. And there is this principle that if you sow sparingly, you're going to reap sparingly. And if you sow bountifully, you're going to reap bountifully. And so God loves to bless those who are a blessing to others. And he, Paul is thanking the Philippian church. So he's certainly, Paul's not opposed to receiving uh, monies, but not here in Corinth. And I think there's some reasons. And so first is, is that the other speakers who Paul is competing with, and we certainly hear more about this in 2 Corinthians, there were these, these guys that were the false apostles and there was this kind of this mindset that you would charge absorbent prices for your wisdom. So if, you're, if your message was free, it must have meant, well, you really don't have anything to say. And so that was kind of the mindset of the day. And so these false apostles were charging big money. And he's saying, you support them, you support these guys. And, and the other was, though, is that the rich would grad, gladly pay the fees and pay these expensive speakers, and then they would also house them and provide food and shelter for them. But it was also, it kind of came with, with some ties and some control and power. The idea is that, well, without me, you can do nothing. And without me, the rich guy providing food for you and shelter, you couldn't do anything. And so really, it was providing this kind of power play. And Paul didn't want to be controlled by the rich, and he didn't want to um, exalt himself to think that his message was so special that he needed to charge some special price for it. He wanted to preach the gospel free of charge because Jesus freely gave his life. And if people had to pay to hear it, to hear a message that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, they're also hearing, well, it's really first by money alone. And Paul didn't want that. And he wanted those in the working class, the very people that he's laboring with on the main street, making tents, he wanted them to hear the gospel, not just the elites and the professionals and the upper crust. He wanted everybody to hear the gospel. And so let's think about how this might apply for us today. Some of you remember the Christian artist Keith Green, who was around in the 70s, who was in a plane crash that was overloaded plane. Um, he was compelled and convicted that he would not charge a concert ticket price to have his concerts. He would just have a love offering. Well, that really rattled the Christian community's cage because all the other artists had a flat fee. And it's still a big issue today with the artists. You know, are we going to have a, a flat fee? Well, Keith Green wanted to preach the gospel. 
And so if you went to a Keith Green concert, you might, you're going to get some singing, but you're also going to get some preaching from Keith Green. Well, he was convinced that his point was he wanted the gospel to be free because he was convinced with a passage like this that he wanted them to hear. And if they wanted to give him the love offering, they could, but if they didn't want to, he didn't want to make it a stumbling block. I like that. When we sent out a church planter, as we're sending out Porter now, and we're helping Porter plant this church in Burke, it will take a few years before the church is mature enough to support its pastor. And as they're trying to reach folks for the gospel, it's important that they're not hearing, first of all, about how they need to give their money, but how much Jesus gave his life. That's what they need to be hearing. And it's the same as true as we send out missionaries from our church. Matt and Ellen are right in front of me here this morning. Imagine if the Zells in Honduras had their hand out and they're preaching the gospel and taking up an offering as Americans. How, do you, how would that be received by the Hondurans if you were down there, by the way? Would that go over very well? And how much would actually come in that offering plate? <laughs> Poquito. <laughs> very, very little, right? So if you charge money, then the gospel isn't free. It would greatly hinder their message. And so we have the privilege to support the Zells and to support the Harlows. And so Paul's in Corinth as a missionary, as a church planner, and Paul's realizing they're not ready yet to support their church. And if he were to ask money for money, it would greatly hinder his witness and his ability to preach the gospel because he wants to become all things to all people in order to win some. And so Paul's right as though he has the right to earn his living from the gospel ministry. He continues to be this tent maker during the day so that he can preach the gospel free of charge to not be a stumbling block to anybody. And so for us, what Paul was turning around saying to them is, you were called to freedom, brothers. Don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another The whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And so he's saying, follow me as I follow Christ. Give up your rights. Give up your right to meet or give up your right to drink if it's going to make somebody stumble. And isn't that what it means to follow Christ? Jesus had every right to stay in heaven and never come down. Jesus didn't have to take on flesh He didn't have to be made under the law. He didn't have to go under the miseries of this life. He didn't have to go to the cross. He didn't have to be beaten. He didn't have to be tortured. He didn't have to be crucified. God would still be God if he didn't save anybody. Fully just. The soul that sins shall die and we deserve death, everlasting death, and hell forever. End of story. God is God. God would be just to send us there. And he'd be, he could still be just to send us there if we refuse his grace. But Jesus volunteered for the mission. And God sent his son. And Jesus says, I've come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I'll lose nothing of all that he's given, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I'll raise him up on the last day. As we come to this table this morning, we're reminded that the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And the people said, well, sir, then give us this bread always. And Jesus said, I'm the bread of life, and whoever comes to me shall never hunger. And he who believes in me shall never thirst. 
Let's come to him afresh this morning. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you gave up your rights, laid aside your glory, humbled yourself, being obedient to death. We praise you that you were exalted. To you every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God our Father. And so, Lord, we ask that you'd meet us now and that you would help us as we follow you to not make much of ourselves. We ask that we would shrink, that you would become greater, and that we would become less. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.